Just a quick reminder, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, make sure you do, since up next, that story will be part of this episode's conversation. All right, enjoy the show. Here on Counting on Us, I get the opportunity to share the stories of those who have found the hope to push forward and overcome the challenges of their lives, like gaining independence, building a family, and healing from trauma. But how universal are their stories, and what are the threads that connect them with other ACH clients? And what does ACH's team of caregivers and professionals really want you to take away from their stories? I get help unpacking these questions from the members of the community ACH serves and directly from those whose mission it is to help them. On today's episode, my conversation with Aquila Walker, Becca Kadina, and Stacey Ladd about a recent story shared on the podcast. I'm Daniel Trevino, and you're listening to Counting on Us, a podcast presented by ACH Child and Family Services. Previously on episode 7, we shared how Margie Walker ended up the primary caregiver for her great-grandson, Draven. After years spent feeling lost without her husband, Margie found hope again once CPS informed her that her estranged granddaughter's son was in need of a home. Unfortunately, she wasn't prepared for what would soon be asked of her, physically, financially, and emotionally. With the support of ACH's Kinship Connections, Margie was able to get the right resources and guidance needed to achieve legal guardianship of Draven. My first guest is Aquila Walker. When she was just 18 years old, her life would forever be changed once she agreed to take care of two boys from a woman named Donna. 44 years later, Aquila has now raised nine children, eight of them from Donna's family, and none of them related to her by blood. Consequently, Much has been sacrificed, a marriage, a career, an engagement. Till this day, the pressures of being the sole provider of three children are continuing to be felt. But the love for Prince, Princess, and Messiah runs deep and motivates her to carry on. Welcome, Aquila, to Counting on Us. Thank you. All right, so I need to ask you a question that I know many people are thinking. Why do you keep accepting responsibility for raising all of these children. And, you know, this is multi-generational. This goes back many, many, many years. And considering that you're not related to them by blood, you are fictive kin, which means you're a close family friend. I don't even know that I was a family friend. I remember I didn't know Donna. She just happened to have a child by my brother-in-law. I have a lot of people that ask me that. They don't understand it. And they say to me, why do you take care of these children? And I say, who's going to do it? If I, if I don't do it, who's going to do it? Somebody has to do it. And, and that's the issue here is that I tell people when these children become adults, I wouldn't want to walk down a dark alley and meet one of them who has never had a hug, who nobody ever said, I love you, who no one ever hugged, who never, no one ever kissed goodnight when they put them to bed. Somebody has to teach them. Somebody has to train them. Somebody has to show them the ways of the world. Somebody has to love them. 
So you can say it's not my job, but whose job is it? And if the mother can't do it and I can do it, why wouldn't I? I'm sure you're familiar that when these children do come into your home, they have experienced trauma. So, you know, that's a lot of work that is then being asked of you as well. It is so much more work than I think I even understood. I have never experienced a child that has been given up by their parent that has not had problems because they can't really understand it. It always manifests as something is wrong with me. Why didn't my mom want me? Why doesn't my dad want to know me? Because when you think about it, it's not only the mother. Where are the fathers in this situation? Mm-hmm. And so it just becomes a point of they don't like themselves very much. And that's where the the problems come in. And that's why I realize now it's so important to have counseling when they're small. I have the five- and six-year-old in counseling now. How has this situation affected your relationships with your family and friends? My siblings are very disconnected to what I do. They don't understand it like many. I have many friends, very a lot of church members, and nobody understands what I do. I feel very alone in what I do. I don't have a support system. Yeah. My friends, um, when you consider it, are age 55 to 75. They're not interested in babysitting a little kid. So I don't have a support system as, much, as far as backups. Um, they go on vacations. I'm not able to go. They take cruises. I'm not able to go. They get together and go out to dinner. Very seldomly am I able to go. I don't have a babysitter. Um, so if I understand this correctly, so for a long, for the majority of the time you're taking care of all these children, you didn't really have that much of a support system. Like, I didn't have any support system. I I had not had any financial support yeah. until ACH. It's different this time because I had never had anyone say to me, we're here for you and we are supportive of you. Never. I've never had a family member do it, never had a friend do it, never had a backup. And actually, it was um, Stacy Ladd, who's a director of ACH, that came to me one day and said to me, what do you need? And I just about broke down because no one ever said that to me. And I never thought like that. What do I need? I never thought about what I needed. I only thought in terms of what they needed. And somebody called them one day and said, I have some furniture. I'm buying my son some new furniture. Do you know anybody that needs furniture? And they called me and they said, do you need a bed for Messiah? And I said, I do. I bought him a crib, but he's crawling out of the crib. He does. He needs a, a dollar bed. And they said, well, we have some furniture for you. And I said, okay. And the lady, they gave the lady my number. She called me and she said, I'm going to have it delivered and set up for you. It is the best furniture in my house. 
She sent a desk with a chair. She sent me everything I needed to furnish his room. Mm -hmm. And that's through um, here at ACH, we have Kinship Connections, which is the program that you're particularly in right now. So let's now kind of switch gears and kind of, I had you listen to um, Miss Walker's story, um, the other Miss Walker. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, so after listening to her story, um, what stuck out to you and what did you relate with? I related to when you think about taking a child, people think about what they're giving the child. They don't think about what the child is giving you. And when I heard her story, it sounded like to me that this kid saved her life. And it resonated with me because these children saved my life. I was in an abusive relationship, and I would have been in that probably for the rest of my life. But it was through the children that it made me want to have a better life. It wanted me to provide a more stable environment for them. So even when I didn't care enough about myself, I cared more about them. Were you ever hesitant in receiving help from Kinship Connections? I know Margie Walker talked about being concerned that receiving help from ACH would hurt her legal case. Very much so. I I was raised to be very independent. I've been working since I was 13 years old and never stopped. Um, Even at 61 years old, I work an average of about 50 plus hours a week. So very independent. Feel like if I'm going to take on the responsibility that I should provide. So it it is a struggle at times. It's times that I have had to maybe not do something. Maybe we don't take vacations in the summer because I have financial responsibilities. So to have someone that is there um, no matter what, I mean, that those off times, like recently, um, just to give you an example, I switched electricity companies. And the old company sent me a bill, and the new company sent me a bill right at the same time. I had two electric bills, and you know, they were several hundred dollars, and I just was like, oh, how am I going to pay two electric bills this month? And I thought about what Stacy said, and I emailed her, and I said, Stacy, can you help me this month? And she did. She paid that electric bill, that extra electric bill for me. Mm-hmm. The services that they offer me in counseling is invaluable. I have a counselor, well, she's not a counselor. She is kind of a connector. Her name is Becca, and she yeah. works with us. She's your kinship connection specialist. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she works with us, and she knows all of my kids. She brings us, you know, on Thanksgiving, she brought us a basket and a gift card to buy a turkey. She brings us gifts on Christmas. She comes out, she talks to my kid. And Prince, who has a hard time connecting with anyone, I met Becca and fell in love with her. I didn't think he would talk to her because I thought he needed a guy. And she came out and he just resonated with her and they became, they formed a connection and he talks to her. And when I have a problem, I call Becca crying and say, Becca, (laughs) this is happening. What do I do? And Becca finds me a resource or a connection where I can get through that problem. So it's invaluable to me. I mean, who has someone you can call? I've called Becca after hours. Matter of fact, one time I had to have the police come out. Prince was kind of having a, a mental health episode. And I called Becca and she's like, I'm on my way. 
Who, I mean, who has that? When I don't have a family to call and who says I'm on the way, here here comes Becca. Yeah, I. it kind of mirrors in the episode with Miss Walker's episode, the relationship between Miss mm-hmm. Walker and Mandy Martin, mm-hmm. who was her kinship connection mm-hmm. specialist. And in the story, her husband had died, right? And so in order to get her mm-hmm. home ready so she can get that right. legal status, she had, she had to yeah. get rid of the shed and it had all these memories. And mm-hmm. um, that was such a hard uh, experience for Miss Walker. Mm-hmm. But it really, for me, showed that if she didn't have that support from Mandy at that time right. to empower her to continue. It would not have happened. It wouldn't have happened. It would not have happened because not only was it the physical she was able to do, but the emotional part of it also. Mm-hmm. Just anything that you need to do what it is you do, they're there for you. Mm-hmm. Instead of taking the stance of, you know, you've got to get this done. You you know, you must do this to, to become um, a counselor or a foster parent. They don't take that attitude with you. They take the attitude of what can I do to help? Mm-hmm. What What do we need to do to get this taken care of? And that's always been the way that they've handled things with me, just with the greatest care. Um, is there anything else you would um, like to share or communicate to our audience? I cannot stress enough that, like when I say, when people say, why do you do this? And I say, well, who's going to do it? Um, I cannot stress enough how much this is needed. Everybody doesn't have a family that's loving. Everybody doesn't have a family that's financially viable to do it. Everybody doesn't have a family that should have a child, unfortunately. Sometimes they're just not safe. And like I said, if I could afford it, if I could buy, you know, a home with 10 bedrooms, I'd take more. I really would. They give back so much more than I give to them. They do. If I can just raise God-fearing, law-abiding, good citizens, then I've done my job. And that's all I want out of life now. That's what I want for them to grow up and to have good lives and say, somebody loved me enough to take care of me. Well, that's so powerful. Um, I just want to thank you for just all this love that you've Given all these children and getting, I love I'm getting. Yeah, and you're getting kisses daily. (laughs) Yeah, so that's I mean that's a blessing too, right? So, um, well, thank you so much um, for speaking with me today, and um, I just wish you all the best uh, luck in the world with your children. Thank you, thank you. I appreciate it. We'll be right back. Hi, it's Dr. Wayne Carson from ACH Child and Family Services. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. Here at ACH, we know that the community is counting on us to get it right. So for over 100 years, ACH has remained true to our mission of protecting children and preserving families. Follow us on social media or visit our website, achservices.org, to learn more about what we do, how to get involved, or if you'd like to support us. Now, back to the show. All right, let's continue the conversation. 
I'm here with Stacy Ladd and Becca Kadina, and both are valuable members of the team here at ACH. So welcome to County on Us. Hi, thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you so much for having us. Um, can you both introduce yourselves and tell me more about what you do here at ACH? We can start with you, Stacy. Sure. My name is Stacy Ladd. I'm the Kinship Connections Manager. Um, I manage two units in our Kinship program. Um, we have two units, one that does licensure or expedited licensure for kinship caregivers, and the other unit does support services for kinship caregivers. Um, I'm a kinship connection specialist. I work with the community side um, and give support to the kinship families. I also do the therapeutic side with the children and the um, more high-risk families that need assistance. Um, what are some of the trends that we see um, with kinship care in Texas, Stacy. Yeah, I think kinship is becoming a placement option, whereas not necessarily in the past was it an option. Um, children primarily went to foster care. And then later down the road, they tried to find a relative. The department tried to find a relative that would be a placement option. I think we're really becoming more kinship focused, that they are an option and, and usually um, there is a relative that's willing to step forward for someone in their family. Um, and so I think kinship, you're going to see that as maybe the primary option, um, whereas in the past, it was the secondary option. So when children can no longer stay with their parents, what are the benefits of placing them in kinship care? Studies show that kinship placements are more stable, that those caretakers are committed and not um, as willing to disrupt on a child because of their behaviors. It preserves the child's um, culture. Um, they're still connected to their culture. They're still connected to their family, even if it's a fictive kin, someone who has a significant relationship. That relationship is still carried over to the child, and so the child has an opportunity to stay connected with other people in their family. Um, and, and it doesn't, it's not as disruptive for the child. All right. Well, now let's kind of switch gears. And um, I had you guys um, listen to Miss Walker. I know you've actually worked with Miss Walker. This is Margie Walker. This is the Walker's episodes because <laughs> we have two Walkers. But let's start with Margie Walker. So, what stood out to you? Like, first impressions, Becca? There was a lot that stood out. I think one of my takeaways was her age <laughs> mm -hmm. as as far as she's he, 81 years she's old she's 81 years old and literally has to start over mm -hmm. and it's very much that's a trend yeah i know and so she was 81 um at that time and aquila walker is 61 so how common is that to see these um an older you know woman taking up that role as caregiver. It's very common. It's becoming more and more common to do that. Um, but why? how could you say no to a family member? How can you say no to a great-grandchild or a grandchild? So it's the sacrifice. As much as, even though it's family, they yes. both had to sacrifice a lot to get where they are right now mm -hmm. for the sake of the children. Stacy, do you want to comment. I was just going to say, I, th I think that we need to understand that kinship caregivers are different than foster parents. Yeah. Um, kinship caregivers don't prepare to take this child beforehand. Their their house is not in perfect order. They're, they're, they're economically not maybe ready to take another child into their home. Their home is not in perfect condition. I mean, all of those things um, that foster parents have the 
um, the opportunity to get prepared. Everybody is behind them. Their church members, their family, their friends all support them. And what we have to acknowledge is that sometimes kinship, caregiver, sacrifice a relationship within their family. It causes a lot of discourse and a lot of anger. Um, and that's something they also have to deal with. Although they feel like they're doing the right thing, it ca- mm-hmm. it, it's very disruptive. So the key to our relationships with kinship caregivers is building a trustful connection, a relationship that says, I have your back no matter what. No matter what the issue is, I have you. Yeah, I know when, um, when I guess it was Mandy Martin, when she first reached out to Margie, um, Margie mentioned how she was afraid at the at the beginning because she didn't know what the ramifications was if kinship connections get involved. Will they report that to her case and will that affect, you know, whether Draven can stay with her or not? Well, it's already invasive enough that, you know, that people are having to go to their houses. And by the time I get involved, I'm the last one through the whole entire process of everything. So I go with it with I'm here for you to advocate because the whole, a lot of the system is for the kids as it should be but they forget about the caregiver so I make it very clear that like with Aquila Aquila my phone line is on 24/7 yes. email anything mm-hmm. I'm here for you how can I help you yeah cuz if you if Aquila can't help herself or if any caregiver isn't where they need to be mentally physically emotionally the kids are going to suffer at the end. Yeah. When I spoke with Aquila, she just shared how there was an incident where I guess Prince was having a meltdown and um, she had to call the police. Yes. And so when the police is there, who else does she call? Because she has no one, no other family to reach out to. She contacted you. Yes. And she's like, I need you, Becca, come down here. So can you tell, it can tell me more about that moment? What happened? Yes. Um, As I said before, I work with a lot of teenagers that come from hard places, of course. Um, Prince's background, unfortunately, he could be the poster child for trauma. So it it led up to a big explosive just meltdown. And Aquila called and was like, I do not know what to do. I cannot give up on this kid. You have a really great relationship with him. Can you come and help me? Absolutely. What else am I going to do? Mm-hmm. So I went there and we got him the help we needed, even though it took what felt like days. It was I was there for probably five hours or more. Mm-hmm. Um, we were able to get him the help that he needed. So if I can step in and just be another ear, just another face, just anything to help calm the situation, I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. I wanted to bring you on, Stacy, because when I was speaking with Aquila, she mentioned how um, she received, when she received a phone call from you at one time, and um, and turned out it was like you're offering her a connection with furniture, um, but you were asking her what she needed. She had never, no one had ever asked her that. And it was just so powerful for her. Um, are you aware of the power of that to ask them what they need? I think that Becca talked about it, that if you don't have a healthy caregiver or if a caregiver that's struggling um, and that impacts the child, asking somebody what they need, what can I do to help you? I think that's ingrained in anyone that decides to go into a field that's a helper. I do feel so grateful that I have staff that that 
has that same focus mm-hmm. that, that we are here to, we're helpers. We're here to help people, whatever, no mm-hmm. matter what it is, whether it's a, a near that listens, that just says, I know you're mm-hmm. struggling, or can't, can, what, do I, what can I do to help you financially? I know you're struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've been very, very blessed to be able to do that through a grant from Reese Jones. And um, we've been able to do things that, that maybe helps a little bit someone to be able to exhale and not feel so much of the burden. Any last takeaways? Um, one of the things that we learned pretty early in, in kinship was that um, kinship caregivers make that decision consciously to take a child, but they don't have the luxury, like foster parents, to not be emotionally connected to that person whose child went into foster care. And if you have a grandmother and it was her daughter who the child was removed from, emotionally she's rooting for her daughter to get her life together. Mm-hmm. And when that doesn't happen, she grieves. So I think we have to acknowledge some of the barriers um, emotionally, financially. Every single kinship caregiver is going to tell you that that child's going home and they're doing this short term. And there's lots of times that we have to break the news, sometimes to older caregivers like Marjorie Walker. Mm -hmm. You're 81 years old, and I think she rooted for Draven to go home. And in the end, Draven didn't go home, and all they have is each other. All Draven has is Margie Walker, and Margie Walker wants to do the best job she can for Draven, mm-hmm. and she feels like she's all he has, too. Um, and so mm-hmm. that, that isn't what Margie Walker planned for her life, um, but she graciously took that um, and made the decision to do the best that she could for the remainder of her life with Draven. Mm-hmm. And the same thing for Aquila. You know, she helped raise generations of this family, and who would have thought? Now, 10, 15 years later, she has the kids of the children that she raised. And Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that I've gotten to help her the past year and a half with that. And now that she has another grandchild with her Mm -hmm. and a girl this time, it's going to be different. Yeah. Like, it's going to be—it's difficult, but she's very resilient. Yeah. I will say that. I think that's— a big key too between these two walkers. These walkers are resilient. Yes. There's not a wall that they won't break down. There's not a fire that they won't put out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's really beautiful to see. You know, I asked, you know, Aquila, what's different this time? And she's like, well, now she has ACH. Now she has a support system that are who to call. You know, she now she knows who to call, you know, when prince has a meltdown or right. you know whatever yeah. it is so anyways well thank you both for all the great work that you do here i really appreciate it and um well keep it up thank you <laughs> thank, thank you. you so much all right bye <laughs> that's all for today but make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss the next two episodes we release every two weeks And if you enjoyed the show, please share, rate, and write a review. It makes a huge difference. Also, if you feel inspired and would like to support ACH in its mission to protect children and preserve families, then you can donate now at achservices.org slash donate, or you can find the link in the show notes. Counting on Us is a podcast presented by ACH Child and Family Services. Written, edited, and produced by Daniel Trevino. Special thanks to Aquila Walker, Becca Kadina, and Stacy Ladd. Mixing by Panoramic Sound. Thanks for listening. <laughs>